I tell you what, it's been kind of rough to be a Tennessee football fan in recent times. Uh, both the, the Vols and the Titans have just been pretty bad lately, and it's, it's, been, it's been a little bit hard to take. And I tell you what else, the fans of opposing teams have cast off on us pretty badly. I mean, if you've been around some fans, I won't name any, uh, other teams, but if you've been around some of those fans from other teams, boy, they, they really rub it in that we've been so bad and they've been beating us so easily. You could say that we have had, as Tennessee football fans, both Vols and Titans, you could say that we've had to endure a good bit of persecution about our football teams. And I think you would know what I meant if I used that kind of terminology. It's been rough. It's been hard. And others have been making it harder for us because of that. Did you notice the word I used there? Persecution? You understand that word, don't you? Uh, and, and, and so that's the idea that we want to develop in our study this morning. And I have a simple question for you. And my question this morning is, are you persecuted? This question arises from Jesus' statement in Matthew chapter 5 at verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We want to look at that statement this morning uh, and consider the idea of persecution that we face. Before we get into that study, we stop for just a minute to thank you all for being here. We have several visitors with us this morning. We're so glad you came our way. We want you to know that. You're our honored guest. Thanks for being here. For all of us, it is a great privilege to be able to assemble together to worship God, and I hope we always appreciate this opportunity and never take it for granted and always take advantage of the occasions that we have to come together to worship God and to glorify Him. That's what it's all about, to glorify our Father which is in heaven. Thanks for being here this morning, and thanks for the encouragement that you give to the rest of us by being here. All right, this statement, Matthew 5, verse 10, is the last of the statements from Jesus at the introduction of the Sermon on the Mount this is the last of those introductory statements that we refer to as the Beatitudes. And this morning we want to conclude our study. Uh, I don't know if you've been keeping track, but this is number eight, uh, uh, our eighth lesson and study about the, the Beatitudes that Jesus stated right at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. I think I told you when we studied this, started this study that when I was younger, I used to think that the Beatitudes meant they were be attitudes. These are attitudes you ought to be. Uh, not a bad thought, actually, because I think they do all express things that we ought to be, but that's not really the, the origin of that word. Beatitude comes from the Latin word beatus, and that word is translated blessed. And so all of these statements begin with that word blessed. And it, in the Latin, that would be beatus, or a root of beatus, from the root beatus, meaning blessed. And so all of these statements are telling us how to be blessed. Other newer translations might use the word happy. Uh, happy only in the sense that you're well favored, blessed by God. Not that you'd be laughing and joking all the time, but that you would be happy in the sense you're blessed by God. That's what these statements involve. And so we're, we've been through them all, and we're down here to the end of this particular section, the introductory section of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Some people say that this actually shouldn't be considered as one of the Beatitudes because the other statements talk about characteristics that we need to personally possess. In order to live right with God, it tells characteristics that we need to possess. This one doesn't, right? This one actually talks about the result that happens when we live right with God. When we live right with God, we can expect to be persecuted for that. So this, is, this last statement is a little different. But it does start exactly the same way with the word blessed. And so typically we include it when we're talking about the Beatitudes. All right. What about persecution? Let's make sure we've got a good handle on the definition, although I think that we do. If I, if I used that word, you would, I think, have a mental connection with the meaning of the word persecuted, although we usually don't use it about our football teams, as I was doing earlier. Usually when we talk about persecution, we're talking about something connected with religious activity. Vine says that it means to put to flight, to drive away, to pursue. That's what the word persecuted means, he says. Thayer adds, in any way whatsoever to harass, trouble, or molest. And so someone is sort of chasing you down, Vine says, and, and Thayer says they intend to cause you trouble. They want to harass you. Uh, they want to cause some difficulty in your life. And that being the case, then we would, I think, rightly define persecution to be unfair, undeserved treatment intended for the purpose of troubling us or harassing us. I think that's what the, the word means. Now, Again, I don't think that's new to us. We understand that. The Scriptures are actually full of examples of God's faithful people receiving treatment like that. Look at the whole context of what Jesus said in here. Now, this is our text, Matthew 5, verse 10, beginning, but actually Jesus gives a couple of extra verses, 11 and 12, go on to sort of explain this more fully. Look at this. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, <coughs> for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Notice, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Jesus uses the Old Testament prophets as an example of being persecuted. Uh, we know, we studied in the Old Testament, and our Old Testament studies confirm that the prophets of God during that time period really received some very harsh treatment, undeserved. I mean, it was, it was unjust. They hadn't done anything by which they should have been treated that way, but they were treated that way anyway. And so Jesus uses those Old Testament prophets as an example. People trying to live right for God, and yet they get persecuted. They get troubled. In Acts chapter 7, verse 52, Stephen, you may remember this is the text where Stephen, the first Christian martyr, is trying to make his defense before the, the raging Jews in the city of Jerusalem. They're just about to stone him. And, and Stephen says in Acts chapter 7, verse 52, Which of the prophets hath not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one. Notice, the prophets, they were persecuted. Well, just get the picture then that People trying to do the will of God. Faithful people. People really trying to live right, do the right thing. These people have been persecuted. It's not a new thing. It's been going on all along. Jesus said it was so. Stephen said it was so. 
In that text that Cole read for us earlier from Hebrews chapter 11, notice that there was a lot of harsh treatment that came to him. Hebrews 11 talks about great heroes of faith from Old Testament times. And, and here the Hebrew writer just goes through sort of a catalog of various mistreatments that they suffered. They were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves. I think all of us, when we read those words, we just stand in amazement uh, at those people, uh, those Old Testament heroes of faith, and the things that they endured, the trouble they went through, uh, the, the, the faithful service they provided, even when it was heaping down upon them all kinds of mistreatment. And, and it wasn't just that they were being ridiculed or made fun of. They were literally being tortured because they served the living God. Again, Hebrews 11 catalogs Old Testament examples of God's faithful being persecuted. But we know that that kind of persecution continued on. When the church began in Acts chapter 5, uh, the ruling Jews called the apostles. They beat them and commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. Oh, okay. Well, if you say so, I guess we just have to stop doing it especially if you're going to beat me and, and you're going to beat me and tell me not to talk about it anymore, I guess I'll just have to quit talking about it. Right? I, I certainly don't want that persecution. I don't want that beating, although it wasn't deserved, although it was unfair. Man, I sure don't want to be tortured like that. I don't want to, uh, you've got to believe those beatings were severe things. They were beaten and commanded. Don't speak in the name of Jesus. What'd they do? Well, you know. Verse 41, they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, notice, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I tell you, that's, that's just uh, incredible. That's remarkable, amazing to think about the faith of these individuals. By the way, we've, we've pointed this out plenty of times, but when you read that, you just have to be impressed with the kind of evidence that that supplies to our faith. We didn't see Jesus. We didn't experience the miracles that he worked. We didn't hear firsthand the teaching that he did. We, didn't, we, we weren't eyewitnesses of the sinless, perfect life that he lived. But these guys were. Right? These men were. And when they saw him resurrected from the dead, finally... Uh, you're not going to shut them up. You're not going to make them be still. You are not going to make them stop talking about Jesus. And this conviction that they had, and they would not stop, even under threat, even under real persecution, they would not stop talking about Jesus is a sure testimony to us, a form of evidence uh, that what we read about Jesus in the Scriptures is true. Of course, in, as in all things, Jesus is the ultimate example of someone who was persecuted, unfairly treated because of the way he lived and what he did. First Peter 2, beginning verse 21, For even here and too were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously." 
who his own self bare our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Jesus is the extreme, perfect example of a person who deserved no wrong treatment, and yet look what they did to him. So, again, we have a good, we have a good understanding, don't we, of what it is to be persecuted. Now, Notice that in Jesus' statement, the persecution he's discussing has to be for a specific reason. As, as we were saying earlier, the word can apply to other things. I was just kind of jokingly suggesting we're persecuted because we're Tennessee football fans. But I tell you another place where you know, that idea of persecution happens, and it happens a lot in our day and time. You know, certain groups are persecuted over political points of view. If you hold a, a particular political point of view, there are enemies, political enemies, who will try to do you wrong, speak evil against you, and even maybe literally do you physical harm because of a political point of view that you hold. That happens. That has happened all through the history of time, and it's, happened, it's happening in the world today. But in regards to the persecution that we're talking about this morning, Jesus had a, a very focused thing in mind, Specifically, he said, persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So, his statement here does not apply to any other consideration. So, you, let's say you, you take conservative political views, and, and you get some grief for that in our day and time. Okay, but that, that's not what this is talking about, right? Uh, uh, so this is talking exclusively about being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Look what Peter said about this. First Peter 4, verse 15. He said, let none of you suffer. So don't. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. So Peter says, you can, you can, get, you can get a lot of grief for a lot of different things. If you go out and commit crimes like murder or thievery, you can suffer for that. You can suffer because you're an evildoer, because, you get, because you're a busybody and other men's matter. You could suffer because of that. And he says, really, don't let that happen. It, it, you could suffer for those reasons if you, if you acted in those ways, but don't do that, he says. However, he, he goes on to say in verse 16, yet if any man suffer as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let, a, let him glorify God on this behalf. So here's, here's the rule that Peter is setting forth. You can bring grief on yourself for a lot of different things, and some of that's deserved. Uh, and, and there's nothing good. That, in other words, if you're suffering because you're a thief, well, shame on you. I mean, there, there, that's not a good thing. But if you suffer as a Christian, he says, don't be ashamed, glorify God on this behalf. And so... There's, there's persecution or suffering that can come for other things, but we're focusing on mistreatment that we might receive specifically because we're trying to do the will of God in our lives. Earlier in that same epistle, 1 Peter 2, verse 19, this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults ye shall take it patiently? But when ye do well and suffer for it, and you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. And so Peter's making the same point a couple chapters earlier. He says, a man for conscience sake toward God endures grief, suffering wrongfully. That's persecution, right? 
That's exactly what we identified as persecution. So you're trying to do the right thing. You have a conscience. You're trying to live by that conscience. And you suffer for it. You suffer grief. You suffer wrongfully. People treat you wrong for that. Notice, this is a thankworthy thing. And we should be like the apostles, thankful that we are counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. All right. So again, we've got to notice that the persecution that Jesus is describing here is a very focused thing. It has to do with suffering wrong, undeserved wrong, for trying to live right for the Lord. Now, in regards to all of that, well, let's summarize that real quick. In, in regards to all of that, let's point out that the, this persecution is absolutely unavoidable if we're living for God. We are going to be persecuted. Um, this is kind of interesting. Sermon on the Mount was pretty early on in that preaching period of Jesus' life. Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew's account, Matthew's account has it in chapter 5, right? So it's, it's pretty early on in the teaching that Jesus did. And actually, this constitutes the first hint from Jesus that his followers were going to suffer mistreatment. So here in the introduction of the Sermon on the Mount, he, he begins to say what he will talk more about as time goes on, but he begins to say, expect to be mistreated. Expect to be persecuted. He hadn't talked about that before. Here's the first hint of that. We know, of course, that that was no idle prediction on Jesus' part. He, wasn't just, he, he just wasn't saying words. He was actually telling a true prophecy of what would come to pass. It came to be the reality that his followers and his disciples were persecuted. To this date, it has not changed. And we need to understand that it is so, uh, that we will suffer if we're trying to live right. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Emphasis on this last part. Shall, not maybe, shall suffer persecution. If you're living godly in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted for that. Now, we should point out that this is not something that we set out looking for. No, oh, I just love, I love to be persecuted. Uh, you know, I, I have some kind of warped mind in which I just love for people to beat me up and mistreat me, use me wrongfully. No, that's not what this is. But what this is saying, you don't have to go looking for it. It will find you. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, Paul says, If it be possible, as much as lieth then you live peaceably with all men. But this first phrase, if it be possible, implies that in some instances it will not be possible. We will not be able to live peaceably with all men. And it's not our fault, it's theirs, right? No, if it's up to us, we will, but it's not always up to us, uh, and we will suffer persecution. In fact, Jesus said that this serves as sort of a self-test for us. Think about his words in Luke chapter 6, verse 26. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. We were talking about the prophets earlier, but here Jesus has in mind the false prophets. And, and he says, if everybody's speaking well of you, if you are in fact not being persecuted, right? Everybody is speaking well of you, that's a warning sign. Woe unto you if all men speak well. For so did their fathers to the, not the true prophets, so did their fathers to the false prophets. If no one is 
speaking badly about us, if we're not sensing any kind of persecution in our life whatsoever, I'll tell you, something's wrong. There's something wrong, right? All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, we read earlier. And if we're not, Jesus said, wait a minute, if everybody's speaking well of you, you might take a warning from that because that's how they treated the false prophets of old. In our day and time, there's just a, a tremendous effort to make Christianity easy and popular. Uh, and, and so, in lots of religious circles, the message is just completely watered down, non-distinctive. And the idea of it is, we want everybody to be happy with us. We want everyone to speak well of us. We don't want to make anybody mad. Let's, keep, let's tone it way down. That's just, that doesn't work. That just simply can't work. Jesus told us that if we get, if we get to living and acting and preaching and teaching in such a fashion that nobody has any objection to us, nobody has any issue with us, then that's, that's a bad sign. Uh, we, we have to realize that faithful service to the Lord will bring people's scorn down upon us, and we have to be ready to accept that. Persecution is a reality. Persecution will come to us if we're living right for the Lord. And, and again, I, I really want to stress this. This serves as a pretty good self-test for us. If I don't sense any wrong treatment, uh, untre- wrong treatment that I don't deserve, if I, don't, if, if, I, if I am not being persecuted in some form, I'm not living the way the Lord expects me to live. Again, I'm not seeking that. It's not what I want, but it's just a reality of living for the Lord in this wicked world. All right, persecution. I think we've got a good handle on that, don't we? What's the result? The result says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What do you think about when you first read that? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I was talking about eternity. If I live for the Lord now, if I suffer persecution for the Lord, I'll get to go to heaven. I, I, I got, I got to just grit it out now. Uh, it's not a very pleasant life. It's just a really hard thing. Uh, but if I can make it, I'll, I'll be able to go to heaven. Maybe it'll be better then. What about that outlook? I think that's a flawed outlook. I want to take you back again to the, to the Sermon on the Mount text. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? And he goes on to explain. He says, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Oh, there it is. That if I endure these things, I'll get to go to heaven. Well, that's definitely promised here, right? Uh, in the song that, that Wade led for us earlier. Heaven will surely be worth it all. And it will be. I'll get to go to heaven. And whatever I have to endure here and now will be worth it. Heaven will be, heaven will surely be worth it all. There's no doubt about that. In the song, if you notice in the song, it even said Jesus promised this. Heaven will be worth it all. It will be worth it, right? And here he promises, great is your reward in heaven. But I want you to notice Go back up here. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs will be 
the kingdom in heaven. He didn't say it will be. It's in heaven exclusively. Notice, is is a present tense verb, right? And so if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, there's a blessing attached with that right now. Jesus is saying real blessings come in our life if we're living in such a way that we end up being persecuted. Uh, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? If so, then it ought to cause us to rejoice even if we're being mistreated. I think, honestly, we, we recognize that living the life that Jesus wants us to live is good for us here and now as well as going to heaven when this life is over. We've got to believe that. And so Jesus really talking about a twofold sense that there's a great benefit from living in such a way that we be persecuted. We, we can go to heaven, but we can rejoice even now, realizing that we have the better life and that our lives are enriched for living for the Lord. Here's what Paul's view on this was. In 2 Corinthians 4, beginning verse 17, for our light affliction. Boy, we talk about this a lot. Paul called the things he suffered light affliction. Really? That's how he viewed it. How can he look at it that way? Well, he says, this light affliction is but for a moment. It worked for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are, uh, things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. But right, here's the key. How could he talk about light affliction? It all has to do with perspective, right? It all has to do with perspective. In, in view of eternity, anything we have to endure right now doesn't amount to anything. It, it, it's just for a moment. It doesn't matter. It doesn't compare. That's the way that we need to look at it. Again, Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It's perspective. It's a matter of how you look at things. Finally, in James chapter 5, verse 10, My brethren, take my brethren the prophets. Well, we started out talking about how the prophets suffered. He said, take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. That's the same God we serve. And we need to believe the same things about Him. And so, there you have it. Blessed are they which are persecuted. Are you persecuted? Do you sense that you are being persecuted as you try to live right for the Lord? It's an, it's, it should be expected. It's not something surprising when we take the full information into account. Jesus is saying we can expect it to be so. That wraps up our look at the Beatitudes, those introductory statements that Jesus made as he was beginning the Sermon on the Mount. Really powerful stuff. I think you'll agree that Jesus is worth it. And they're all just really short, brief statements. And they, they, they have so much application and impact in our lives if we allow them to. I hope our study of the Beatitudes has been helpful and that it will all cause us to work hard to be the kind of people God wants us to be. Thanks for listening. We're going to sing a song of invitation. As we sing this song, we'll be asking everyone here, make sure your life is right with God. If, if it's not, and that means that you need to obey the gospel plan of salvation, we encourage you to do that. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. If we can help in your obedience, we'd be glad to do so. If you're a Christian but you've not been living faithfully, come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.